Amen. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you. Happy Mother's Day to all of you today, all you moms here in the room here. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 22, 2 Kings chapter 22. Before I get into this message today, I just want to give a shout out to Red last week. Red really did a fantastic job uh, teaching us and I gave him one day's notice. I had strep throat last, uh, strep last week and I couldn't really speak. And so the day before I said, dude, you're going to have to preach. He was like, is this a, like an option? No, there's no option. You're going to have to, you're going to have to preach. And he did a fantastic job leading us last week. Today we begin a new series called Vital Signs, a pathway to deep beneath the surface transformation. And over the next seven or eight weeks or so, we're going to be looking at uh, seven different vital signs uh, in our lives today that lead us into this kind of transformation. And so um, let's go to God in prayer. Let's invite him to speak to us as we enter into this passage today. Lord, uh, the words that we just sang, we want to hang on every word. We want to hear you. That's, that's our prayer today as we enter into this passage of Scripture. Lord, would you shape us, inform us, make us into who you have called us to be. May we be attentive to the ways that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us this morning. And so may your kingdom come, may your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. amen. Uh, one of the fastest ways to determine your physical health is to examine your vital signs, to examine your vital signs. Whatever the reason you go to the doctor or to the emergency room, whether it's for the common cold or it's because of a serious illness, doctors don't move forward until they assess your vital signs. And the measurements are taken to assess the general health of a person, to give clues to possible diseases uh, or, or, or to measure just the progress of a person's general health. And so the medical professionals assess your body temperature, assess your blood pressure, your pulse rate, your heart rate, your breathing rate. And if those vital signs are normal, you are in good uh, general health. In this series, we're going to be looking at seven vital signs. And I want to say from the onset that these are not the uh, only vital signs of our lives. This is not a comprehensive list of vital signs. But for who we are as a church and where we are as a church in this season, these are the seven signs, the vital signs that I'm sensing God calling us to uh, spend time on. And these, these signs are a, a pathway, really, of a deep beneath the surface transformed life. And if these vital signs are working in our lives, they lead us to a transformed life by the power of God. And so today we're going to focus on the vital sign of Scripture, the vital sign of Scripture. And I want to say ahead of time that I'm going to be challenging us by the end of this sermon here and inviting you to spend between 10 and 15 minutes of unhurried time in Scripture this week. If you're already doing it, that's fantastic. But from what I, I'm going to uncover before you here and and disclose, I believe this has been an issue that the church, not just in New York City, but around the world, is struggling with engaging God in Scripture. And so today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, 2 Kings uh, chapter 22, which I believe is a prophetic text for us as we think about uh, the relationship to Scripture in that day and our relationship to, to Scripture in our day here. And so 2 Kings chapter 22, beginning at verse number 3, hear the word of the Lord. It says, in the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary Shapin, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah the high priest and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. 
have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dressed stone to repair the temple. And so you get the gist here. The temple is in disrepair. The king says, we need to fix this thing here. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And you're going to discover, and we're going to discover together, this is a staggering statement, a staggering statement. I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shapin, who read it. Then Shapin, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the high priest, has given me a book. And Shapin read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. In our text this morning, we have a story that, although it's written thousands of years ago, speaks to one of the biggest problems we have in 21st century, in our 21st century world. We have the story of a king named Josiah. When Josiah was only eight years old, or he was a third grader, he was made to be king of Israel. His father was assassinated at the age of 24, and because his father was assassinated, Josiah was next in line to be king. And so they gave this little third grader a crown. They gave him a kingly robe. They gave him a rod to put in his hands. And before him, eight, uh, before this eight-year-old, princes and generals and military leaders would bow before him. And Josiah became king at one of the more spiritually dark moments in Israel's history. And for many years, king after king had led the nation away from God. And so because Josiah is eight years old, he didn't have the great wisdom. He did not have the great strength to lead his country. And so his mother, the queen, and with a few trustworthy uh, leaders around him, around her, would, would, would govern the kingdom. And in the process, this eight-year-old would be trained particularly by his mother. This is a wonderful Mother's Day message here for you moms, especially you single moms that are shaping and training your children up. This queen was shaping and training her child to be king. And so after he grows up, uh, he, 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 several years later, he goes into the temple, Josiah does, the temple that was long built long ago by King Solomon. But the temple was not beautiful any longer. The temple was in great disrepair. The temple was, was in ruins, and Josiah the king was horrified to see the temple in this condition. Parts of the walls were falling. The wall, the floors had holes in them. Perhaps the rats are running the show like a New York City subway system here. This is, this is just a bad place to be. A place that was once beautiful is now in disrepair and in ruins. And the saddest part was though, although this was God's temple, there are now many idols of wood and stone that permeated the entire temple. And so King Josiah decided to make the temple beautiful again, to rededicate uh, it to God. And so he called the men who was in charge of all the money. He said, get all of the artists and the construction workers and the masons to restore the beauty of the temple. And so one day, as all of the, the construction workers were in the temple trying to clear the clutter and clear the mess and paint the walls, one of them, I imagine, has a shovel in his hand, and he begins to shovel the dirt out. And again, he's shoveling again. And one day, he, he hits something there, and he realizes this is more than just dirt. This, this, this seems like a scroll. And as he's shoveling, he, he picks up the scroll, which would be a, a, a fairly large size item, which parchment, and parchment was a very valuable, uh, valuable item, so you won't throw it in the recycle bin. You want to just see what is this parchment all about. And so he begins to dust the words off the parchment, begins to see what, what, what are these words. And, 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 and he, the guy who finds it says, Shapin, come over here. Look what I have. 
and they discover that it was the long-lost book of the law. And evidently, for many years, the people of God had been living without the law of God. And so Shapin carried it to the palace, brought it to the king. Josiah listens to the words intently, and all the people gathered together. And for the first time, the king hears the law of God. Now, this is, think about this. The people of God have not lived with the law of God for many, many years. And for the first time, he hears the word speaking of what Moses says about how the people of God are to follow God. And this is the king's response. When the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. And then he gave these orders uh, to the men there, the court secretary, aside the king's personal advisor. He says, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for all the remnant of Israel and Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger has been poured out on us because our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord. We have not been doing everything this scroll says we must do. And so soon after, they hear the, the law, they hear what God desires of his people. And the thing that happens next was something that generations have not seen. All idols are thrown out of the temple. All images are, are burned, they're taken out. There, there is a, a, a resurrection, as it were. There is a revival, a revitalization that's taking place because of the rediscovery of the word of God. And so it says early that as it pertained to King Josiah, like him, there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all of his heart, his soul, with his might, and neither after him arose anyone like him. And what's fascinating about the story and telling about the story is that the people of God lived so long without the word of God. They identified themselves as the people of God, but had no clue about the word of God. And so the king is in guilt because all these years they have lived a particular way and found out the way that we are living is wrong. And revival comes into the land. Now, this story, I believe, is prophetic for our day. Because without question, the people of God, that is the church, we have lived the same way. In the text we read, the problem was that the book of the law was lost, buried under the clutter and disrepair of the temple. And as a result, they lived without the guidance and revelation of scripture. In our day, we have another problem, a different kind of problem. Because in our case and in our day, the scriptures are not lost, but they're buried under the clutter of our lives. In 2015, we have access to the Bible like never before in human history. A New Yorker article I read uh, noted that in 2005, Americans purchased some 25 million Bibles, which is twice the amount of Harry Potter novels. The amount spent annually on Bibles are more than half a billion dollars. So it's actually good business to sell the Bible for some reason there. And when you factor in all the Bible translations that are available online, we are inundated with Scripture. We are overwhelmed with the presence of Scripture in our lives. But the statistics show that with all the Bibles out there, people are not reading them. In many respects, the Bible in our lives serve as like Encyclopedia Britannica. And many of you, if you could afford Encyclopedia Britannica, you know that you don't read Encyclopedia Britannica. It's just there for show. It's just there to let somebody know. You know, I'm cultured. I know what's happening in the world here. And from time to time, you might go in there and read it. But for the most part, it's just there. It's just there. And this is how many of us approach Scripture. 
The Barna Group, a research organization, reports that 9 out of 10 Americans own a Bible. Those same people own an average of 4.4 copies of the Bible in their home. But few of those who, and few of us who have the Bible in our possession actually read the Bible that we have in our possession. 61% said that we, they wish they read the Bible more. Only 13% or less than 13% said they read the Bible daily. What if we gave ourselves the 15 minutes of scripture reading every day? What if we gave ourselves the same amount of time that we scroll up on Facebook to see what's happening there, just to say, you know what, I'll, let me hear what God has to say about my life. And it's evident that we're not reading the scriptures because all the surveys and statistics paint a sad picture of American culture, a sad picture of the current state of the church. And I just want to read a few of these statistics, not to give guilt on us, but to give, bring awareness and then an invitation to us as well. This is some of the, the, the research that came out of, of, as it pertained to scripture. Fewer than half of all adults can name the four gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. 60% of Americans can't name five of the 10 commandments. 82% of Americans say God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Okay, it's not a Bible. It's not, it's not a Bible verse. Pastor Pete, I'm sure about this one here. I'm, I'm sure about this one here. At least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Okay. That's Noah's Ark, okay? That's, that's with a K. That's, that's, that's with a K. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Okay. Not husband and wife. Not, not, not husband and wife. We're going to have a test after this, all right? And so just... Pay, pay close attention here. A considerable number of responses to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Now, Billy's old, but he's not that old, right? It's just like, he, brother is not that old. Now, with all this before us, we are in big trouble. We are in big trouble. And listen, the, the bigger problem is not that we can't name some of Jesus' disciples, the bigger problem is not that we can't name five of ten of the Ten Commandments. The biggest problem is this. We are living without the primary, if, perhaps the primary spiritual formation resource that God uses to change us. That we're living without it. That we're making decisions based on what we think or what our families did as opposed to what does God have to say to me about my life. And God has given us the gift of Scripture to form the person of Jesus inside of us. And every single day, we have an invitation and an opportunity to allow Christ to be formed in me just a little bit more because of the gift of Scripture. And so the question is, why don't we read? Why don't we read the Bible? And as I've been thinking about this, I, I really land on three reasons why we don't read the Bible. And not just read it, you know, a month, I'm talking about on a consistent basis where we are, we are paying attention to what God is saying to us and in us. Why don't we read the Bible? The first reason we don't read the Bible is because none of us, many of us, don't feel equipped to read the Bible. Many of us say, I, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. I, I, don't, I don't know uh, the Old Testament's relationship to the New Testament. And so we feel many times, many people, I've had many conversations with some of you that say, I don't know where, I feel overwhelmed. A big book. People have been reading it for thousands of years. Where do I begin? And so that's one we don't feel equipped. And at New Life Fellowship, our job, and in weeks to come and months to come, our job is to pro provide the venues for, to equip you in the way 
of Scripture, which is what we're looking forward to. So we don't feel equipped. The other reason we don't read Scripture is because there's no time to read the Bible. Our lives are so cluttered. Our lives are so overwhelmed. We're always rushing from one thing to another to sit down and allow the words of Scripture to permeate and penetrate our hearts. Who has the time to do that? Our lives are going from one place to the next, and so we don't have it. But the third reason, which is today at least what I want to focus on, is we don't read it because of boredom. I don't get anything out of it. I don't feel anything when I read. Could you imagine if you brushed your teeth in the same way you read your Bible? I don't feel anything when I brush my teeth. I don't get goosebumps when I brush my teeth. But you better brush your teeth, you know? And so imagine if we use that same logic to read Scripture. It's, it's dangerous logic here. Now, I've been reading a, a wonderful book on prayer by Ronald Rollheiser, and in it he talks about the power of ritual, the power of ritual. Doing things, ritual is basically this, doing things that ground you even though you don't feel like doing them. And he uses the illustration of marriage to, to underscore his point. And I believe this uh, analogy to marriage speaks to how we approach Scripture. And this is what he says. He said, A recent study of, on marriage points out that couples who make it a habit to give each other a ritual embrace or kiss before leaving the house in the morning and another, another ritual embrace or kiss before retiring at night fare better than those who let this gesture be determined by simple spontaneity or mood. The study makes the point that even if the ritual kiss is done in a distracted hurried, perfunctory, or duty-bound way, it still serves a very important function. Namely, it speaks of fidelity and commitment beyond the ups and downs of our emotions, distractions, and tiredness on a given day. It says we still love each other and remain committed despite the inevitable changes and pressures the seasons bring. I want you to start thinking of the Bible, reading the Bible, as the act of God kissing you or you kissing God. That it is a, even though you might not feel it, even though you might not get something out of it. And I want to normalize this for us. Because we don't always, when, when you read scripture, it, it is not normal for you to always necessarily feel, oh, I get something out of it every single time. That's not human experience. From time to time, God blesses us with a, a special sense of his presence, a special revelation. But if we're only going to read it when we feel something jump out of the pages, we're never going to read the Bible. And so we have to begin to, uh, our Bible reading should be ritual in this respect, in the best sense of the word, a, a, a practice that anchors us, even though I don't feel like it at all. And when we begin to do it on a consistent basis, even though we don't feel like it, all of a sudden, God's word incrementally and slowly begins to permeate our lives and change the way that we live in the world. And so we need, just like Josiah in this passage, we need a rediscovery of Scripture. And we need a rediscovery of Scripture very plainly because of this. It is in Scripture that God meets us. God meets us in his grace. In the story, there, there was a decluttering. There was a cleaning that led them to rediscover the law. And when it, they rediscovered it, it became the medium by which God encountered them. And so Scripture is the place God meets us. Scripture is the place that we connect with God, or said this way, and, and really this is going to go for the rest of our series here, whatever vital sign we focus on, Scripture is the place of encounter and the place of formation. It's the place of encounter 
and the place of formation. When we talk about Sabbath, Sabbath is the place of encounter and the place of formation. When we talk about silence, silence is the place of encounter and the place of formation. When we talk about small groups and community life, it's the place of encounter and the place of formation. But scripture is the place of encounter and the place of formation. First is the place of encounter. God in his grace has chosen to meet us through the pages of scripture. And, and when they heard the law, they, they were encountered by God in his holiness, encountered by God in his grace, and realized that they were living in a way inconsistent with God. And you know you're making progress in your relationship with Scripture when you're not just reading the Bible anymore, but the Bible begins to read you. You know you're making progress in your relationship with Scripture when you're not just looking to interpret Scripture anymore but you're realizing that scripture is interpreting you. That scripture is revealing something about you. You know you're making progress of, of, of seeing scripture as the place of encounter, when it's not just about what do I get out of the Bible, but what is, does the Bible get out of me? That God wants to do something in me. Not, so so I, don't, I am not over the Bible in this way. I am submitting myself to God's revelation and to God's authority for my life. And so it is the place of encounter where God meets us in his beautiful grace and his beautiful truth. But it's also the place of our formation. Scripture reading is the place of our formation. And scripture basically, it becomes the source that aligns our hearts with God. It reshapes our imaginations. It re-prioritizes our desires. It does something in us. It forms us into the person of Jesus. And it's supposed to form the way that we live in the world. That whenever crisis emerges in the world, scripture is the lens by which forms us in our response to the world. I love this story by Harvey Cox. Harvey Cox is a professor of religion at Harvard University. And he was, um, during the civil rights movement, he was uh, protesting and he was marching and all of that. And he talks about the formative power of the Bible, uh, the power that it has in shaping the way that we live in the world, especially under very difficult moments. And so Harvey Cox's professor of religion uh, was arrested and he begins to recount uh, the power of scripture and how it shaped the people that were uh, taking up this cause of protesting and marching for civil rights. And this is what he says. He says, I was arrested along with 40 other civil rights demonstrators, 30 of them young black kids and a few of their parents in a small city in the American South. We were apprehended for taking part in a peaceful protest march organized by the local chapter of Martin Luther King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Inside the jail, once we were photographed and fingerprinted and had surrendered our wallets and belts, the warden separated the white protesters from the black ones. But those of us in the white cell block could hear the black, young black prisoners singing. Sometimes we sang back in response, if not quite as lustily. On the Saturday after we were incarcerated, the warden, a mild-mannered, middle-aged white man, paused in front of our cell. Well, he smiled, scratching his head, them colored kids been asking for a Bible so they can have Sunday school and church tomorrow. And still smiling, he shook his head, so I gave him one. Can't do no harm, I guess. And Harvey Cox responded, no harm. What the warden clearly did not know was that the reason these youngsters were in his jail was that they had been listening to Dr. King and some of his coworkers teach and preach from that harmless Bible. 
They had learned that they were children of the same God who created white people and that they had equal right to dignity and equality. The warden did not realize that from Exodus to the Gospels to Revelation, the Bible talks about freedom and has stoked more than one revolutionary moment in history. That's what the Bible's to do in us. It's to shape us, to respond, and form us to respond to the crisis that shows up in the world from time to time. When you look at Baltimore and what's happening in Baltimore, let me ask you a question. What is shaping the narrative of the way you look at Baltimore and what's happening? Is it the Wall Street Journal? Is it the New York Times? Is it Fox News that is shaping the way you look at Baltimore? Is it MSNBC? Is it CNN? What's shaping the narrative? What's shaping the lens that when you look at the news, is, is it all these things or is it Scripture? Is it the Word of God that although they might have their narrative, God has a narrative as well? Although the news will put out in the media what they want you to see, the story of Jesus has a lens and a framework he wants us to live from as well. Who's shaping you? Because the reality is whether you know it or not, you are being formed. In some cases, deformed. And God wants to reform us into the way of being in his world. Who's shaping you? Who's forming you? And the gift of scripture, and this is what Josiah recognized in the passage in the book of 2 Kings. He realized we have been deformed. We have been shaped by other ideologies. We have been shaped by other theologies. And all of a sudden he realizes in the rediscovery of the law and the rediscovery of the word of God, God wants to reshape me and reform me in the way that we live in the world. And so scripture is the place of encounter. And scripture is the place of formation. And let me tell you, let me promise you this. When you start reading through, uh, through the scriptures, when you start reading about Jesus and the gospels and the Holy Spirit begins to illumine things, all of a sudden there's a change in your life, the way you see the world, the way you interact with the world, the way you work, the way you parent, the way you are married. It changes the way you're friends with other people. It changes and forms you in the way you live in the world. And so if scripture is the place of encounter, everyone, and scripture is the place of our formation. What's our response? How do we respond to this? And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about how do we respond this week to the beautiful invitation that God says, if you open the scriptures, I will meet you there. And I will form you there. How are we to read scripture? Now, I want to first of all tell you how not to read the Bible. I want to tell you this is really important. How not? To, first of all, uh, we are not to read the Bible like it's a Ouija board, like it's a Ouija board. Many of us, Mike, can you put that picture up there? It, it's, it's not a, most of us, when we, when we read the Bible, it, it's just so, mm. <laughs> what, what do you have for me, God? What do you have for me? What do you have? No, not there. What do you, what do you, what, what do you have for me? And, and it's so arbitrary. It's so maybe in Psalm 23, you got something. No, nothing in Psalm 23. The Gospel in John, you got some. No, nothing in the Gospel of John. The book of Leviticus, definitely not the book of Leviticus. And we read with just some arbitrary kind of uh, way. It's not focused. This is not how to read the Bible. There's an old story that, you know, preachers tell from time to time with someone that wanted to, to get the will of God for their lives. What, God, what is your will for me? What do you want me to do? And they did the Ouija board kind of thing. They just kind of blindly 
picked a passage, and they landed. They said, you, you got to speak to me right here. And they look at it, and it says, Judas hung himself. And, and they read that there. <laughs> they said, that can't be what God wants to say to me. So they did it again. They did the whole thing again. And then they turned to another passage and said, and he said, right there. And the next word was, go and do likewise. And it was just like, no, this can't be the Bible here. This can't be the, that, that's, that's like the Ouija board kind of approach to scripture. That is not the way to read the Bible. That we don't also read the Bible to prove others wrong and to win debates. It is possible to know the Bible and not be changed. And actually, some of the angriest, judgmental people are people that know a lot about the Bible, but have not allowed the Bible to change them. And so here, you want to know a really good measurement of whether you're really understanding the Bible? Are you more loving by the time you finish reading the Bible? Are you a more loving person? Not just like, did I get supernatural revelation from God? That I know what to do. Are you more loving by the time you finish reading the scripture? Some of us read the scripture about, that's what's wrong with the world. And now we're angry and judgmental. If they only got this thing, the world wouldn't be in the case that they're in. That's what's wrong with the world. If you're, if you're finishing scripture like that, I promise you have not encountered the father of Jesus. <laughs> That's what's wrong with the world. It's just like, no, I think there's a, there's a better way of reading the Bible, everybody here. And so we don't read the Bible to win a debate. And many times, I could tell the people that don't read the Bible, they're always trying to win debates and find, where is that? Where is it? 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 I'm going to find it. Wait a second. I'll find it. Give me a second. There's a book of Hezekiah somewhere in there. I know it's in there. It's in there. There's no Hezekiah. There's no Hezekiah. Third, we don't read the Bible to get God to love you more. You don't read the Bible and say, oh, God needs to love me more. I'm going to read the Bible. No, God already loves you with an everlasting love. What Jesus has done for you on the cross, he loves you with an everlasting love. One of the ways that we express our love to God is by reading Scripture. Not to secure the love of God. Christ has already secured the love of God for us. But we read it to grow in our love for God. And so how do we read Scripture? And this week, for 15 minutes... My invitation to you is that, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you in a moment what passages I, I want us to focus on as a community together. But, but the first thing that, how are we to read the Bible? First of all, unhurried. 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 I love what Eugene Peterson said. He says, reading is an immense gift, but only if the words are assimilated, taken into the soul, eaten, chewed, gnawed, received, an unhurried delight. Unhurried. You cannot have... You cannot read the Bible the way you interact with social media. You're, you're scrolling everywhere. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, and then you scroll some more. That, that is not the way to read the Bible. We're reading an unhurried delight, chewing it, eating it, allowing it to permeate our souls, unhurried. And so my hope this week is that you would take 10 to 15 minutes this week, an unhurried delight, to open up a passage of Scripture that I'll talk about in a minute and say, God, what do you want to say to me today? And if you know what? If you don't hear anything from God, that's okay. Show up again tomorrow. And if you don't hear anything from God, that's okay. Show up again tomorrow, the next day. And sooner or later, you'll see God begins to speak to you in powerful ways. That all of a sudden, you're saying, a, a, a word jumps off the page. And you say, I've read that thing 10, 15 times. And all of a sudden, in a fresh way, it's coming to the surface again, unhurried. We also are to read the Bible with an open heart. With an open heart. 
that God is going to say things to you, perhaps, that you're not going to want to hear. When Josiah heard the words of the law, the first thing he did was tear his clothes in despair. He didn't want to hear it. He was like, well, we're doing it all wrong. And he repented. But we do it with an open heart. And thirdly, we do it prayerfully. And that is this. Some of you say, I'm rich. I've never been to seminary. You don't need seminary. You just need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you in the way you should go. I went to seminary. I love seminary. But to understand, we have the, the, the inner teacher, the Holy Spirit inside of us. That if we say, Spirit of God, can you help me understand? What, what are you trying to say to me and for me in this place of my life there? Trust that the Spirit of God will lead you in the way that you should go. And so we are to be unhurried. We are to be open. We are to be it prayerfully. And as we begin to do it, more and more, God begins to shape the character of Jesus in us. Now, this week, this is, what, this is essentially our homework for the weekend. This is what I want to invite you to do. And this is always invitation, never imposition. This is not like, oh, Pastor, I got to do this because Pastor. This is invitation, never imposition. And I want to give you three options this week to read for 10 to 15 minutes. And I promise you that if you 10 to 15 minutes in an unhurried, open, prayerful way do this, that God, you would begin to encounter God in powerful, formative ways. And so I want to give you three options to read. I want to give you the Psalms to read as one option, the Psalms. Then read through a Psalm slowly, meditatively. So the Psalms might be an option. Or the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to give you three, the Gospel of Mark as an option for you. They just read from, from chapter 1 to chapter 16. Not to, to win a race, we're not giving out prizes next Sunday for those of you that finished the Gospel of Mark there, but, but in a way that you would encounter God. And thirdly, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses, chapter 5 through chapter 7, the, the greatest sermon ever preached through Jesus, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And in a slow, unhurried, this might mean you have to wake up a little earlier, this might mean you might have to go to bed a little later or so, but in a slow, unhurried, open, prayerful way, Allow God to speak to you. And look what happens when you begin to do it. I love how the story ends. The story in the book of Kings ends where Josiah hears the law being read. He tears his clothes and he says, we need a new way of living in the world. And he casts out all the idols. He casts out all the images. And that began the, the, the precursor to a great revival that took over that land. And could you imagine what would begin to happen if you allowed the words of God to permeate your... Could you imagine what would happen at work this week? If you allowed the word of God to permeate you and the ways of Jesus... Could you imagine what would happen at home this week? Maybe you'll be a little bit more patient this week as you're reading about patience and allowing the Holy Spirit to form patience in you. Maybe a little more loving, a little more forgiving this week because of what God is... And imagine the impact that it could have around you in the world that we live in. And the way that God set aside revelation here in revival, God wants to do the same in our lives. If we simply do the act of saying, God, how do you want to speak to me? I'm open, prayerfully, unhurried. And God begins to not just change you, God begins to change the people around you as well. I want to invite the prayer team to come forward. And I want to close with this. And then we'll, we'll sing a song in, in response together. The story goes that when Josiah heard the law, there was two responses that took place. And I uh, sense that this week as you read scripture that you're going to have at least two responses in your heart. The first response is rejoicing. They found the law. They rejoiced. And this week, I believe God's going to speak to you in ways that 
Maybe you've never heard God before. And it's a cause for rejoicing. Wow, God is speaking to me. God is leading me. And I believe that's going to be one of the responses that you have when you read Scripture, rejoicing. But the other response was repentance, repentance. That you're going to read certain things and the Holy Spirit is going to say, yeah, that needs to change. Yeah, we need to go another way. And so both of these are God's gifts of grace to us, whether it's rejoicing or whether it's repentance, to lead us and shape us in the way of Jesus, to lead us and shape us to be the people God has called us to be for the sake of the world around us. Let's pause for a moment. I invite you to close your eyes and before we sing together. And we're going to sing that song we sang earlier about you'll come. And my prayer this week in faith that we'll pray, God, that you'll come. That as we spend time in scripture and in prayerfully reading, that you will come. That we will not live on just bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so let's pause. Maybe there's a, a time of repentance for you right now. Or a day of rejoicing that you sense, yeah, God is speaking directly to me right now. But whatever, whatever it is, let's just pause for a moment and we'll respond in, in song. Father, thank you for the gift of Scripture that you use to encounter us and to form your Son, Jesus, in us. And Lord, I pray that we would be open to the ways that you're going to speak to us this week. I believe in faith that you are going to speak with such revelation this week over us. And Lord, I pray that. I pray you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see that in ways we've never encountered before, we see you and hear you through the pages of Scripture. Lord, may it form us in the ways that we live in the world, in the way that we are married, the way that we do community life, the way that we work, the way we respond to crisis in our city and in this country. May it form us. And so, Lord, uh, we're open. Speak to us. Because your servants are listening. And Lord, we sing to you words, uh, words that say that you'll come. We believe that you're going to come. May we have eyes to see you when you do. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, let's all stand and sing together. Amen. And I believe that's what's going to happen. God is going to come this week um, in powerful ways as you're open to him. As we take 10 to 15 minutes. And if you, if you say, Rich, I, I got 30 out of it, that's fantastic. May God increase your time spent with him. I want to invite the prayer team to come to my right. We have the Lord's table to my left. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ was broken for us, bruised, poured out, so that we may have life. So if you'd like to receive that, you can come up the center aisle here. But we have our prayer team here. Maybe you're at a place where you realize today is a day of repentance. Every Sunday when we gather together, it is a... It is a time to hear the good news of God's grace. And also, it's a day of repentance, a day of saying, in light of this grace, I need to go in a different way. I need to change. 
the ways that I'm going. And the simple thing of reading scripture prayerfully, openly, led by the Spirit of God, is something that can have massive implications in our lives. Ask my prayer this week that you'll begin to notice a difference in your home life, in your work life, wherever you're at, that the words of God are so penetrating and permeating your heart that you're changed and the people around you are changed as well. And so maybe you're at a place of repentance today where you realize you just, you need the strength of God to do this. For some of you, this is, this is very difficult to do this. It's a, very, it's a challenge. This is, you're going against ways that you've been living for months, for years, a rhythm. You have to create new rhythms. This is difficult. But with God, all things are possible. And so if you want to receive prayer just for uh, new eyes, new strength, the filling of God's Spirit in you, you can come up and receive that so that this week, your life is just a little different because you've met God in His Word and you're being formed like Him. So you can come up for whatever need you have. You can come up for prayer. For the rest of us, I want to invite you to open your hands uh, to heaven to receive a blessing, really an impartation of His power that something would happen this week unlocked inside of you, that you would have an insatiable hunger for God, a thirst for His Word, a hunger for his word the same way you need breakfast in the morning you say i need your word today as well that's my prayer for you this week i want to pray that god would impart that in you imparted by his holy spirit in powerful ways that all of a sudden you realize i i i need to read the Bible. i cannot not read the bible that's my prayer for you and so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living god May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you, fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with such a hunger for God, with a thirst for his word, that it becomes living bread and living water to you. May you be shaped in the way of Jesus this week through scripture. May God meet you and may he encounter you. May he encourage you. May he redirect your steps. And out of these encounters with God through scripture, may you experience transformation in the world around you. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everybody.